for all that we've been through for the last three weeks, if prior to this, starting with Nachmu Nachmu Amir, continuing in, continuing on with the subsequent Tavteris of the other six until Rosh Hashanah, which means it's right around the corner. Um, I can't say most importantly, more importantly, uh, significantly. <laughs> Um, use the expression as you'd like, freely. Today is Chamishas above. Tubav. So, there are those that call it Tubav, Tubishvat. And there are those that call it Chamishas. There are different, what's the difference, significance wise, they both mean 15. Tezvav, Bav is the day of the month. We count yesterday with Yudal, today is Tezvav. We don't say yesterday, Abasar. Call it Yudal. <coughs> Labeling it, giving it a name, Tubov, is very different. Therefore, we use the expression, uh, many use the expression of Chemishas above. We will let Shem discuss the significance of Tubav. We don't say Taklin today, just to start. And I didn't call somebody, I better call him quick. He's not going to be a happy camper and find out that I didn't tell him beforehand. Um, we have to try not to slip up like we did last week with the word of mouth that we, expression, the American expression that we used. Hopefully, Mitz Hashem, Hashem will give us Seat Nishmaya and we'll be able to keep this year pure. We repeated many times the Vart, Naravart, the Medish Pliya, Vayan Chavayrevech, Vayichilchas Hamon. Beginning of the Pasha talks about different things that the Jews went through. I had somebody here last night that. Going on and on, how this Pasha, the whole Chumash Dvarim, Meshach keeps giving the Jews over the head, like we say in America. Keeps giving them over and over arguments. It's your fault for this, your fault for that, your fault for this, and that. All the faults that they did, all the flaws that they did. And his eye also fell in certain times, in certain cases. <coughs> obviously, he didn't sin like you did, but I, obviously, my, my level, my stature, that quote-unquote minor sin caused me much more damage. And therefore, as Meshach knew, and as Klal Yisrael knew, Meshach Rabbeinu was not being allowed into Eretz Yisrael. Not on a flip side, but another look at it, Meshach Rabbeinu is not going into Eretz Yisrael, 
was Meish's behalf. As we spoke as well, Meish's Avas Yisrael was so pure and so so thorough, and his being a Raya Mehemda, being a true shepherd to the Jewish nation, Meish was concerned. The people that died in the desert were punished. They didn't die because of old age. It was a decree put upon them from 20 to 60 years old. And because of this decree, they were suffered, they suffered, they were punished, they died in the desert. They did not merit to go into the Holy Land. So Moshe was concerned. Let us say these people were not good people. Let us say there's a problem with these people. Let us pay these people sin. Let us say, for whatever reason, these people fell into this decree. As the Raya Mehemna, as the leader of the nation, he felt the responsibility to pray for them and to save them from being annihilated, as he did many times, and he received the blessing and the, the confirmation from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him, I forgave according to the, way you were, the words you just said. So here, with these thousands of people that died in the desert, Moshe felt a culpability. Why couldn't I daven for them? Why couldn't I have gotten them to repent? Why couldn't I have gotten them to do better? He felt culpable for it. So he had a concern for these people. But a greater concern that Moshe was going through a what if? We don't say what ifs. We don't use the expression what if. What? If? One of the best what ifs I've heard. I mean, I had uh, teachers who were young, and we would ask, we were learning something at sugya, and they would say, "But what if?" And they would answer something to the, to the effect of, "What if your grandfather had wheels? Would it be a trolley car?" What ifs? Don't what if me. Right now we're learning what we're saying, the clear cut. But the truth to be told, there's nothing wrong with the question, what if? So the best what if that I heard ever was, what if your grandfather had a hole in his head, would it be a pushka? Sadaka box. It made no sense whatsoever, but it was a line. It was used. Moshe had a what if. What if when Mashiach comes, and he comes to do, to bring back all the people that died, Chiyas HaMesim as it's called. <coughs> I don't like to use the word, English word for it because it just does not resonate with me. To do Tchiyas HaMesim, he was looking at Tzitzel. He would go into Tzitzel to all the cemeteries in Tzitzel and revive all those and bring them back. Let's say, Maisha did see that all the other Goliaths and that there would be all the other exiles. Let's say they're also going to be brought back. 
all the people, all the exiles, and he learned about the tunnels, that they're going to roll through the tunnels to come back to Israel. So they stand up in Israel. Sorry, what if these people that died in the desert were considered so wicked, Chasushon, they weren't being brought back. That the Malach or that the Mashiach would not go to pick them up, would not go get them. And say, you know what? They may say Midbar. They died in the desert for a reason. They were people that were the highest of levels that saw such miracles that sees Mitzrayim, Ma'atena, Kriyas Yamsuf, etc. And yet, they blasphemed Akash Baruch I mean, we blaspheme in our own way, everyone in their own way, in their own thoughts. Some people say, I don't really believe, but if you tell me you believe, I believe that you believe. But I myself have a hard time believing. These people in the desert who saw everything they saw and still had doubts, still gave arguments, still had fights, still caused strife, Mesha thought, there's no way that when Mashiach comes, they're going to bring them back for Tchiz Mason. So we don't want them back, we don't want them back in Kali so we don't want to get the whole inner strife and the arguments. The Mesha came up with a semi solution. I am prepared, he says, to be buried here, Evil Yardin. Because let me call, let's call the facts here, let's get the facts straight. Yosef HaTzadik passed away in Mitzrayim. Yaakov Vinu passed away in Mitzrayim, in Egypt. But Yaakov told his children, don't bury me here, you better get me out of here. So they took him to Hebron, to the burial of his fathers. Yosef was buried in the Nilus. He was in, under the water. For all the hundreds of years the Jews were in Egypt. But before they left, they, he was brought up, and he was carried, and his bones were carried back to Israel, and he was buried in Israel. Why then? Let us say that Mesha is not going to Israel alive. He is not going to have the merit to live in Israel. Therefore, he has to die before entering Israel. Why wasn't it that Mesha died? in the desert, and then carried into Israel. Who wouldn't want, who, what better place to go diving would be the Meshav in his cave? You have the Tanakama, you have Shmuel Beis, why shouldn't we have the cave of Meshav in Those were fictitious. There's no such thing. Anyway, but Meshav in said, no. I'm going to be buried here, maybe the Yardin. Don't take my bones in. They definitely have to come get me. There's nothing to talk about. They're going to have to come to stand me up. They're already going to be here in the desert and say, ah, all these other people have to come with me. 
So Meshe Rabbeinu's abnegation, his self-sacrifice, went so far that even by his death, even by his actual burial, which we don't know where he's buried, I guess one of the reasons would be because if everybody would go down by his resting place, then obviously would have to be our tools would have to be heard. I don't think that's the reason. It just says in the Tana that we don't know where Meshe was buried. He sacrificed himself to be buried outside of Eretz Yisrael, so that the other Yidden, that gave him such a hard time, that tortured him, that put him through Shibit to get him, and ultimately caused him to sin, that he was not going into Eretz Yisrael. These very Jews, he still at his deathbed wanted good for them. Not just good, the ultimate good, Chiz HaMesa Mashiach comes. May it come today, Amen. So therefore, he said, let me be buried. So there should not be any what-ifs if they decided not to bring these people back because they're going to have to come to the Midbar anyway to get me. Well, they'll come get me, we'll take everybody out with me. What a sacrifice. What a sacrifice. Who? Well, obviously nobody could have such dedication, devotion to a fellow Jew. But we do little things. Little things. A very close friend, almost family, called me last week, he has two friends that are not well. Not from, he's hardly from, his friends are definitely not from at all. But we go, he and I, and his cousin, and we go, family, we go to the oil often, to Daven by the Rebbe's cave. So he asked, would I take them as well? I said, sure. So last night we met by the ale. We met in the tent, we sat down. And prior to writing the letter, I told them the story of recently the letter that came from France. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if I told them I or not. Now I'm in trouble. If I did, I'm sorry, I'm repeating it. But it's a story that's worth repeating. Especially if you missed that shit that I said it in. She had brought from France. He was going to, from France to, to New York. He said he was going to the oil. People wrote him letters. He said, please take it to the oil for us. Many of the people said, take my letter, read it for me, and then tear it up. And many said, don't read my letter, just tear it up. So he had it piles. He had them separate. All of a sudden, one letter found itself in the middle. He said, I don't know, what do I do now? If the person told me not to read it, I can't read it. And the person asked me to read it, and I don't read it. What, 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 how do I do that? So he turned to the guy standing next to him, who was a bacha, who was French also. And he said, S'il vous plaît, do me a favor, please. Read this letter, and tear it up. 
If the letter had to be read, it was read. If the letter was not to be read by him, it wasn't read by him. So the fellow took the letter and said, okay, and he read the letter, tore it up, threw it in the aisle, and left. Shneach finished his Seder Aveda in the aisle, and he came outside and he saw the fellow bawling, crying like a baby. What happened? In between the sobs, the fellow tells him, the letter you gave me was a letter from my sister. She asked you to take it to the hill and she's writing that she and I have not spoken for ten years. And she's writing to the Rebbe the Rebbe should please try to find a way to put us back together again. Ten years we have not spoken. He turned to me, the Shleach says, the guy turned to me and said, I have not spoken to my sister for ten years. And now I hear about it in front of the Rebbe. The Rebbe telling me that this is not the way. So I told these guys the story. If you didn't get goose pimples, they definitely did. And then we're talking and I said to them, you know, you're going into the ale, because you're davening, because you want a full shalema, you want to be healthy, you want to get back on track. It's only right to do a mitzvah. What greater mitzvah for a man to put on film? It's plenty of hours of day still. It was... 5.30, quarter to 6 in the evening. Shkia is not till 8.15. Come, let's put on the film. Just say Shema. I'm not forcing you. As a matter of fact, I gave each person a dollar coin. I said, here's a dollar. Give tzedakah. So at least you do a mitzvah of tzedakah before we go into the hill. Which is what they did. In the aisle, after writing their letters and everything, in the aisle, I showed them things, paragraphs that they should say. They don't read Hebrew, obviously. It's in the English. To read it in English. Prior to getting into the aisle, there's outside, there's all the candles. So they lit a candle. I gave each a candle, they lit a candle. Say that any is a lump. In the distance, I see an old friend of mine walking, coming towards us. I wasn't sure if it was him, because that old friend looked very old. But we're very close, and, and I can't, I can't mistake him. I know this is him. And I said, to, my wife was there as well. I said, is that show bear? Rabbi Levitin from Seattle, the head of Seattle, Washington, Washington State. So I started walking towards him. And he saw me coming towards him. Also, got the same camaraderie, the feelings that I had. We embraced. 
and um, walked back towards where the oil I was about to go into the oil so he walked back to the entrance and he turns to my wife and he says to her I know him longer than you do but not as well <laughs> then he turned to the three fellows that were with me he says Shalom Aleichem your names are and I introduced them he had a good handshake in spite of being substantially older than I am I think 11 years older than me. And he asked them, he says, did you guys put on film? I don't think he was doubting me. But something gave him the intuition. And they, eh. And he asked each one, do you have a pair of film? Each one said, yes, they have film. And one said that, yes, I put on already here. As soon as I got here, I didn't put on in the morning, I didn't have time. So when I got here, as soon as I got here, I put on film. But otherwise, I try to put on every day. Second one said, he says to me, how often do you put on? Once a month? Once a, and he says, you know what? I need you to promise me, once a week you'll put on film. If you don't know how, if you don't remember how, you call the rabbi, your rabbi here, today's a video, chats, and it'll help you. Turns to the second guy, third guy, and he says to him, No, how often do you put on film? The fellow must be in his 60s at least. The fellow says, Honestly, Rabbi, I have not put on since my bar mitzvah. He was a little shaken by that one. And he says, You know what? From you I want once a month to put on film. He's holding his hand firmly. <laughs> they told me afterwards, He's got a good handshake. And I'm flushed. I'm embarrassed to no end. I said, guys, this was not staged. This is not what I said to him when I went to greet him. I went to greet him just as, a, as an old, you did nefesh, as an old close friend. As a matter of fact, we're stickle related. Our cousins are married. So I just went to, I, I didn't say anything. This is not staged. They, was, they weren't. They, they believed me. They didn't have a problem. They didn't think even it was. They just thought how ironic it was that these Lubavitcher rabbis have only one thing on their mind to put on film. We went into the hill and we dabbled and it was quite emotional. I showed them a few paragraphs to say and then the Yiratan at the end asked them to go over, kiss the stone. We came out, showed them the Rebetzins, showed them the Rebbe's mother. Garnished. We go back, they show them how to wash their hands. After washing their hands, it says to me, So, how long is it going to take to put on film? So I said, I'll tell you what I said, when I go home with time, all the Russian Russian people, Dva minut nebalit. Two minutes and it's painless. They left. I said, come. So one of the guys, the first guy said, come, let's put on. So he put on. And he said, Shema Yisrael. Oh, and I had spoken to them before about Harini Mechabal Alai, that we say before davening, how I accept upon myself the mitzvah of a as a child wants something from their father. 
they'll be good with their siblings and they're very nice and good at home and everything and then they'll ask the father the father will say yes of course so therefore the Rizal said before Davini we say accept upon myself the mitzvah of loving my fellow Jews but love myself so that now I start to daven the Ebishah says oh you're a good boy Tatla come let me hear what you have to daven for so I spoke to them about that as well so I put the tefillin on them the first one I said Shema Yisrael Baruch Shem then I said now that the prayer that I spoke about before let's say it now that, that is well if you don't mind he says no mind so he said Reina Mekabal the second guy said Reina Mekabal first already but the second guy said right away he's putting on I'm putting on and they both put on film Baruch Hashem and I give the credit to Rabbi Levitin <laughs> I didn't see him afterwards I have to call him I give the credit to him. And I feel in my own rights, I will confess, that maybe I didn't do it properly. Maybe I didn't relate it properly. Maybe I, I wasn't... Because ultimately it wasn't my success. As the Rebbe once told somebody, they were traveling to a certain town, the Rebbe said, this and this, this person. So he says, yeah, of course I know him. So he says, please ask him, please convince him to grow a beard. Guy never had a shave, never convinced him to grow a beard. But don't tell him I said so. Okay. So he went back to his town and he was, every time he met, spoke to the guy, they talked about a beard, a beard, a beard, a beard, a beard, a beard. He never got anywhere. Finally, one day the guy says to him, buddy, what went into your brain, what bug is in your system that you keep bugging me about a beard? He's up against the wall. And he said, <coughs> The Rebbe told me to tell you. The Rebbe told me to convince you. The Rebbe told you. Boom. And then on, he grew, started growing his beard. A while later, he was back by the Rebbe, by a dollar or whatever it was. The Rebbe asked him, No, does he have a beard? So he said, Yeah. The Rebbe understood, and 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 I had to tell him the Rebbe said so. Ah, the Rebbe said. Now it's not his beard. Now it's my beard. Now it's not because he wanted it. It's because I want. Because he did it for me. So I felt the same way. They didn't put on because of me. They put on because of Rebbe Levitin. I should just be satisfied and say, Ah, Baruch Hashem, to Yidin Perant film, might have come in why or how. And I do that every week. All the people I put on film with, I'm happy Baruch Hashem, they're putting on film. There's actually a shliach in the area that I go to. I come Thursday, he goes on Friday. So one time, the first time he came, they asked, they called me, they said to me, Rabbi, this other Rabbi Cohen is here. He wants to put on film. I said, and? He said, should we? I said, of course. I said, Baruch these guys put on twice a week at least. And a few of them have their own film in the office there, so I call sometimes and I get them to put on again if something important is happening in my life. Baruch Hashem. This is what, this is what we live for. We aspire to do 
what we are taught. Meish Rabbeinu teaches us an unwavering Avas Yisrael. An unwavering belief in Hashem. Allowing himself to even be buried on the other side of the Yardim. Now, I'm 28 minutes later, and I've still started something and never finished it. On the beginning of, the, of this week's parsha, as Moshe is reprimanding the Jews, he tells them, "You were tortured, you were starved, you were fed them on." If tortured and starved, the man tastes like whatever you wanted it to taste. And, on top of that, the man was his sustenance and sustained the person with no problem. In the morning and then in the evening. So what was the torture? What was the pain? And there's a, main, a famous Mandish Pliya that says, from here we learn, Nadir's Shabbos Kodesh. To light the Shabbos candles. Every woman and Jewish girl over three years old should see to it to light Shabbos candles, know the times, and to light, of course, before the time, not to light on, not after Hashem, it's on Shabbos. Every Friday, every Yom Tif, if it's two days Yom Tif, like before the second day Yom Tif, to light the candles. But the Medrash tells us that from here within our Shabbos Kodesh. Where is the starving of the man? Have to do with Neda Shabbos Kedesh. About Shabbos, the Pasuk tells us, Vikarasa the Shabbos Einig. Called to Shabbos as Einig, pleasure. We have to enjoy Shabbos. We have to enjoy the meals we have on Shabbos. So those people that a whole week long are dieting and are being careful and are eating only grass and only kale and kale and kambas Hashem and all the other cow food just know that if you're eating all those vegetables you're eating the cow's food if you want to protect the cow you gotta get, you got to feed him if you're eating all the grass what are the cows going to have? but a whole week long very careful what they're eating what they diet Shabbos is different. No calories on Shabbos. The karosa the Shabbos ending, you have to have pleasure on Shabbos. You have to enjoy your food on Shabbos. When the Jews ate the man, it tasted like anything they wanted it to taste like. Whatever you thought it was going to taste like, it tasted like. You could say it tastes like a rib steak, you could say it tastes like, like uh, peanut butter, like watermelon, whatever you had a Thai vegetable, not watermelon actually. It's one of the things they couldn't. Anyway, um, Tastes like anything you wanted. And you were satisfied afterwards. So what was the torture? What was the pain? You thought rib steak. You thought chicken. You thought salmon. You thought pike, white, whatever you float to your boat. And you tasted it. But you didn't see it. You didn't see that rib steak in front of you. Where you could short and enjoy it, and savor it. Or even that piece of fish. Or even that salad, for that matter. 
by not seeing it, it takes away the whole pleasure of the food. Therefore, tells us the Medrash, the Karasal Shabbos ain't a gift, enjoy your Shabbos meal. You have to have the native Shabbos Kedish on the table so the table is lit so that you can see your food. They're talking obviously in the olden days. We didn't have the Baruch Hashem, the lights and the, sh- the chandeliers so that we could support our local electric companies. They lit Shabbos and they lit candles on the table. As a matter of fact, many people have a kitchen, they have a dining room. The dining room is used only on special occasions, Shabbos, Yom Tif, and then something special happens. Otherwise, people eat in the kitchen. But, comes the Shabbos, you go into the dining room, you turn on your lights in the dining room, whatever light fixtures you have there, may it be a chandelier, may it be whatever it might be, those lights are also considered as like a native Shabbos. You don't make a bracha on them, obviously. But they're also, because they're lights that are lit up for Shabbos, especially for Shabbos. Those that find themselves in the dining room all the time, they don't feel this that great blessing of it, but it's there. So, Karasal Shabbos Einig, in order to see Shabbos, the pleasure of food, we need to have the native Shabbos Kedish. This week's parsha, again going back to Lucas, we spoke last week about this week, this week's parsha as well, about the breaking of the Lucas, and afterwards it says how Aaron passed away. What does one have to do with the other? Breaking of the Lucas with the passing of Aaron. Rashi says, When a tzaddik dies, a tzaddik passes away, it's as hard for a as the day that the Lucas are broken. So now again, Meshach Rabbein is adding again to reiterate, before going into that cell, the Jews keeping the Tera. And he mentions again, as we just said, the Lucas, the breaking of the Lucas, the Chet Egel, and the passing of Aaron. The passing of Aaron didn't happen when they had the sin of the eagle, it happened 40 years later. And therefore, Chazal, this is what Chazal tell us, it's that it's as severe to God when a tzaddik passes away as the breaking of the luchas. As tetas, tetas hemis, and nothing is compared for naught or just frivolously, the comparison of these two things need to have a real basis to it, not just the pain. If the Torah compares the two, the breaking of the Luchas and the dying of a tzaddik, how hard they both are for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they have to have an, an essence. Their Pneumius has to have a connection. Chazal tell us about the breaking of the Luchas. Nistakil Meshav Meshav looked at the hand of the Luchas. Virani saw Sheporach Samalein that the letters that were on it flew away. 
Omar, he said, how do I give now the Jews a luchis, just stones that have nothing to them? Therefore he grabs it and breaks it. He broke it because he saw how the letters flew away. Now we don't say that the actual letters, the whole writing came away. The Meshav said, Abraham Klum. There's nothing here. There's a stone. He doesn't say, but he doesn't say, it's Abraham Mamash. They don't have the Mamash, they don't have their full essence to it. What's the intention of Chazal? The writing was there. The sanctity, the holiness that was in every letter, that's what flew away. So when the holiness flew away from the letters, Meish is so mamish, they don't have their full existence. They don't have the letters that have Kedusha. And therefore, at this point, he compares the inner explanation, the breaking of the Luchas, to the dying of Tzadikim. A Jew is like the Luchas. He has a body, a physical body, the, of written, of writing, physical writing, body, written body. And then there's the Neshama, which is a sanctity, a holiness, which is in the writing. The writing within our body, which is a written thing, a picture, a form, is the holiness of the Neshama. The godly Neshama, the goof of a Jew, is similar to the writing of God. And within this writing in the Luchas, but the Tzaddik recognizes and feels that his whole life is his Neshama, his Godly Neshama, not his Guf, not his body, not his physical mundane body. The life of a Tzaddik is not equal. As the Rebbe explains in Tanya and Geras HaKedosh, how the life of the Tzaddik doesn't live from the frivolous things of the world, but rather from the spirituality, the belief in God, the fear of God, the love of God. So when he's alive in this world, in a physical body, he's still a living life of spirituality. So when a tzaddik leaves, and the shama goes out of his body, it's the same thing as the Kedusha flying out of it, as the Kedusha left from the Luchas remaining a physical mundane body just like the letters of the Luchas on the, on the Luchas but the essence of a tzaddik his godly neshama, his holy neshama separated from it and went up Lamaila just like the letters went up as well another little point the breaking of the Luchas the broken luchas are kept in the orin, in the ark, which is in the Holy of Holies, which is hidden. When the Bnei Yisrael went out to war, they took with them these broken luchas, reminding them constantly that the holiness of God is the main thing, and without it, even the writing and the letters that the Kaddish Baruch Hu made 
with Ayn Behem Mamash. This strength also awakens and, and shows us how when a tzaddik is taken away from us, it reminds us the passing of the tzaddik, we feel that we need to elevate higher and higher and attach ourselves higher and higher spiritually to the tzaddik. And this is just as he did, and he went and, attra- and attached spiritually higher and higher. And that's why we go, for example, to the resting place of a, of a tzaddik. And we ask them to pray on our behalf. And we ask them, to, and we try to connect with them in the way that we couldn't connect with them while they were alive. We have a little difference here between last week's parsha and this week's parsha. Some would, uh, first we'll discuss the similarity, then we'll discuss the difference. Similarity is that last week's parsha of Eschanan. We have the parsha of Shema Vahafta. <coughs> with Shema Yisrael and Vahafta is Hashem Lekecha. In this week's parsha, we have the second parsha of Kriyashma, Vahayim Shemaya. So we have that continuity. But yet there's differences between them. There are differences between the two. In Veschanon, the Shema Yisrael, and Ekev the Hayim Shemaya. Their taken is the same. Their points of the, of the of the two parashas are the same. There are several differences. First of all, in Shema and Vahavta, it says to serve God full heart, soul, and your whole strength, everything that you have. Whereas in Vahayim Shemaya it says, it doesn't say It doesn't say Also, Pasha Shema only generalizes the commandments. Pasha Vahayim Shemaya, it tells us about the commandments, the punishments, and the rewards. Another difference, a very integral difference. They both talk about two very important points. Education and tefillin. In Pasha's V'ahavta, first it talks about education and then it talks about tefillin. In Pasha V'ahim Shemeya, it's reverse. First it talks about the tefillin, Shatameh Zayedchem, then it talks about teaching the children, educating the children. So we're only touching on these three little differences. One of the explanations, the Pasha, the first one, talks about the time when it's the Eden were in its soul. And the second, Vahim Shemaya, talks about the Jews in Golas in exile. 
And therefore, Chazal explained the Posuk, Avartem, Meheda, Mealotateva, you'll be lost quickly from the land, the good land, which says in the second parsha in Vayim Shemeya, even though Animegala Eschem, even though that I revealed to them and they were good, they were doing the mitzvahs. So therefore we must talk about that it was talking about the time of exile when Angola is ready. When the Jews are found in Israel, it's a symbolized, it's symbolic of a totally spiritual level. The highest level of spirituality of the Jewish nation. The Shechina rests in the Holy Temple. There's revealed godliness. And therefore we can request and require from a Jew to serve God the whole heart and the whole soul. Not only heart and soul, but with the entire essence. All your strengths. Your money, your this, everything that you have, all your metzias, all your physical things that you have, not just your heart and soul, but even the mundane things you have have to be elevated because you're not Yisrael. Everything is Kedusha. Everything is holiness. And therefore we don't have to tell you anything about rewards and punishments. You're not Yisrael. The holiness permeates everything that you're doing. And you live and you're surrounded by it. On the other hand, when Am Yisrael finds themselves in Golos, this testimonial of this, that the fa- that the holiness and godliness is hidden. We don't have revealed godliness in front of us. And there's a lot of decadence, shall we say. There's a world that we don't want to necessarily see. And therefore we have the hidden greatness of God. In such a situation, it's hard to serve God. In the way of everything that you have, everything that you own. And therefore the second passage only says, your heart and soul. And the same thing also, when you don't see the actual holiness, the opposite, you have the hardships and you have the hidden revelations of God. It's not enough just the commandments, just tell you to do the mitzvahs. You have to be told with a little bit more of a push. They should have also the shpa on the person, have an impression on the person. And therefore, this passion talks about reward and punishment as well. Things that the person can relate to, connect to even standing in the lowest of levels and not bastards in Kedusha and spirituality. The difference between these two Pashas as well comes in the Haftarah, Veschanan and Ekev. After Veschanan we read, which symbolizes the revealing of God. The Haftarah says, Nachmu Nachmu Condolences twice for my nation 
says God. HaKadosh Baruch in his, let us not say, the opposite of glory, tells the prophets, please go out there and condole, give condolences, console the Jews. Whereas in Akev, it's involved already in a little more of a condolence. As we said, these are the Shiva and Nechemta, seven weeks of, of condolences. And the cry comes out from Am Yisrael, Vatimetzin Azavani Hashem, Hashem Shechani. Tzien calls out, Zion calls out, and says, God left us, God has forgotten us. Bottom line, Dafka through this tremendous Yerida, this drop in the Golas, can we achieve this tremendous surge to rise up higher? If Chazal say the Achish Bnei Yisrael Misarvin, this Nachim Ayudei Nevi'im, after the Jews were able to be given and enveloped in the condolences, Eimer Hakadosh Baruch Hakadosh Baruch says the next week. I am the one that will that, that will condole them, console, console them, and that's how I will reveal them ultimately. Before we answer the third question, why one has Tefillin first and one has Krishna first, one has Tefillin first, one has teaching the children first. Let us examine teaching the children. Twofold. The obligation of a person, both on Rambam and Shekhanarach and everywhere else, to learn Torah. Every person has an obligation. The second thing is, again, all these same places brought down, that you have an obligation to teach others. Especially the father to teach a child. The obligation is to learn from the Pesach, teach the children, teach them, the children, and speak to them. And of course it says, teach to the children, teach your son. We see a tremendous thing here, two psukim, two piske alocha, Two people that give that wrote about Allah, the Rambam and Al Tareba, both begin their Hilkas Talmudera and their Sfarim. Not the obligation of a person to learn himself, but rather just the obligation to teach the children. And we know the Al Tareba hired a Malami to teach the Mitlarebbe his son, and told him, I have an obligation to teach my son, you have an obligation to support your family, we'll switch. I'll support your family and you teach my son. The whole obligation of teaching the child comes from the fact the person learns himself. How, even more so, how can I teach my son if I didn't learn myself? So this is all the Paschim are trying to teach us. The difference, the main difference of Teda and Mitzvahs main influence of mitzvahs on the world 
when a Jew is Mekayim Mitzvah and Chayfetz in the smallest way, he's sanctified this way, Chayfetz in the world, in generalization. Kima Mitzvah rest the Eir Hashem on the world. And just turns into everything inside out and elevates it spiritually and and cleanses it. It's brought on Tanya. And therefore the main thing is of mitzvahs is doing mitzvahs maizis. Bringing, continuing the light of God in the world. The person could think though, Mimikai mitzvahs with total self nullification to the Ebishta. But this is not Mi'akiv. The main thing is to do. Whereas Limita Teda, the main thing is to purify the person. When a person learns Teda, the way he's supposed to, according to Allah, and he becomes one with his brain, his mind, his heart, and soul, becomes one with the Seikha of Teda, it causes the person to become that much more elevated, that much more pure. And therefore the main thing of Limita Teda is not so much the Limud itself, with the limit ka'alacha, totally to be self, to given over to Teda. And this melting into understanding is the truth, is this is the machshava, without trying anything out in the parsha, like it said, it goes according to the person's mind. This is something the person can't, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Giving yourself over to Teda. And not only that's not enough, Teda works the person through, but it turns over literally, if you don't use Teda the way it's supposed to be, and you don't apply it the way it's supposed to be, it could be pain, it could be poison. So it needs to be done the way it's, the way Taylor is dictated, with a good, with a strong feeling, connection to God, and he's totally nullifies himself to the seichel and das. His own his own seichel and das. He doesn't say, well, "I could think differently. I can think better. I can I can turn this inside out." <coughs> I don't just want to know what Taylor has to say for itself. I wonder how to apply it. I want to have to become one with it. And this is what the, the Hilchot tells us. We're starting off the obligation of teaching the children. It emphasizes that each and every person, the main thing is that the person is not only his Seichel and his Havana, because the young child begins to learn Teda, he doesn't have Seichel and Havana yet. The main thing is to understand, to accepting of Seichel, the acceptance of Das Teda. This is mentioned to each and every Jew when he comes to learning Teda has to be in his eyes like a young, like a young child. When I learn Teda like a child that I'm just starting to learn. I don't sit down with a brain of my own and say I know how and I can do it. Because when a person has takes the wrong attitude the wrong approach to learning Teda he's causing himself samamavis. he's causing himself poison. And this is therefore when the Teda hints to us implies to us where it says first in Pashas Shema first about the Tefillin and then about the education, many people think that until the child puts on Tefillin, 
I have to educate him. The highest brachi, you hear people scream out as Baruch Tarani I'm finished. The guy, boy became a mitzvah, it's not my problem anymore. Therefore, the first Pasha says, first teaching your child, and then taking him putting on film. Whereas Vahim Shemaya comes and tells us no. Even after they're putting on film, you still have the obligation of the Maratamesis Benechem. Which again tells us the same thing, it's a message for us as well. As we just said, even after we're putting on film and we're adulthood and we're sitting and learning, we still have the obligation to learn as if we're learning as a child. And this is the call, the acceptance of Das Teda. When Das Teda dictates something, it clarifies everything. And that's what we have to apply ourselves to learn and to do. Today, as we said before, the day we do not say Tachnun. A couple who gets married on the above does not fast. Generation of the wilderness, as we said, the day of Midbar, many people died. How did they die? They all went in on Tishabav, there's a big ditch dug. Thousands and thousands of people went into this ditch. And. They died. Next morning, people came, they were dead. They buried them. It was a mass grave, thousands of people. The last year in the Midbar, the last group of people climbed into the ditch and apparently davened very, very hard, very strongly. And didn't, the next morning came and they didn't die. They said, maybe the calendar's wrong. Maybe we made a shchedish too early. They waited and waited and waited until they saw the full moon. And the full moon is on the 15th of the month always. When they saw the full moon, they said, Oh, this is the 15th already. They're definitely not dying everybody out. And this is where they knew, this is where the Mesa Midbar stopped dying. There was a terrible episode with the Shev Binyamin, and therefore Shev Binyamin was exiled from the rest of the Jewish nation, they were not allowed to intermarry. On this day too above, they were given again permission to re-intermarry. The whole thing that happened in Giva was wiped, was forgiven. Asher ben Ella took away the blockades that Yeravim placed upon the roads, not allowing people going to Yerushalayim. The cutting of the wood of the altar was completed. They cut wood a whole summer long, Till now, Tubav, you can no longer cut because the sun is no longer betekif and therefore it's not dry enough the wood and therefore they cannot cut the wood any longer. It was the day that the people in Beitar who Rahman al-Sahn were killed out were allowed to be buried finally. It's a very, very special day, a very holy day. And therefore, on this day, it's also a day of Shidduchim, and may we all be zeicha. All those that need shidduchim need to get married. Should find their richtige zivug. They should find their match, and they should see to it that this match will then go. Ara Yehuda, Chutzis Yerushalayim, and Yerushalayim Merakedish. We should all dance together for this chasen kalas that become chasen kala from the matches of Tuba of and Vaita and the rest of the hands to them also as we say from Tuba Av we start to wish for the good year for the upcoming year and may we merit to be in Yerushalayim Yerakedah Shabbat Shalom to all